I want to ask you to stand with me one more time, and let's look to the scripture together, our series text, and I, I really, really hope that the way we do this, I do it on purpose, because I want to help you get the Word of God into your heart, into your memory. As a matter of fact, I'm really seriously considering just having a challenge in 2015 where we as a whole congregation do scripture memory all year long, just to go back to the basics of getting the Word of God down in our hearts. We always do a series text that we say every Sunday, and the reason that I do that is because after eight weeks, you've started to get this thing down into where you're meditating it and thinking about it, you're chewing on it. And it begins to become life. It'll dig the well of salvation deeper down into the soil of your soul. And that refreshing of the presence of God comes when you start to meditate on these things. So this is the one that we were, we're saying every week. We'll do this one eight weeks. Here we go. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Everybody, this one really heartily right here. That He may teach us His ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. One verse from Micah chapter 4 verse 2. Now our, our text this morning from which we're going to be preaching today in this message. The message text is from Proverbs chapter 4. And we're going to get about four verses. So let's just slowly, we're not going to just ta tackle it as quickly as we did the other one. Let's just, here we go. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. We just sang healer this morning. Okay, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it, flows the springs of life. I want you to get that last one one more time. Here we go. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. We open our hearts to you today, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're in this place and that you impact our lives on such a deep level that it's indescribable, that you move and work in us Lord, we have our being in you. Thank you that the word of God is working mightily, even as the Apostle Paul said to the Colossians. The word is working mightily in us. Spirit of God, we ask you to have your way. Thank you for the edifying, the build up. Thank you for the exhorting, the stirring up. And thank you for the comfort, the cheering up that came today prophetically. We receive that word and we ask you, Lord, to let us rise with the sword of the Spirit in our hand to do battle with the enemy. Thank you that a warrior is rising up and his name is Jesus Christ in each of our hearts and lives. We're careful to give you the praise. I'm desperate for you. I need you more than ever before. Move in this service today in the hearts and lives of these hungry seekers. Thank you today that we're only that because you have taken the first step and you've drawn us to your very self. Jesus, we give you praise. We'll be careful to give you all the glory and honor and it's in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said... Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. Today is number five in this series, and we're calling this Healthy Heart Practices because we wrestled through some concepts last week where I briefly talked to you about um, something that I see in the, the larger body of Christ, uh, and that is, for whatever reason, Jeremiah 17, 9 seems to trump all the other heart scriptures in the Bible. 
Um, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? And then the next verse says, I, the Lord, will try the heart and test the mind. Um, and we, we went on to show you that Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will put a new heart and a new spirit within you. And you will obey my laws now out of a heart for them and not out of an external fear or obligation, but out of an internal motivation, which is the love of God. Okay? The, the, the tablet of our heart now contains the law of the Lord. We're not obeying it from an external source written in stone, but now it's been written on our hearts. That's what the new covenant is. It is... It is the fact that God has come into us and He has given us a new heart and a new spirit. Ephesians 3, 17 says, Christ dwells now in our hearts by faith. And so I believe that it's accurate when people say, don't trust your heart. But I just add to that, don't trust your mind either. Because we showed last week that the regenerated believer's issue is not a bad heart, but it's an unrenewed mind. And we are so marinated in the German word zeitgeist which is the spirit of the age. It is the prevailing mentality in what we think of in the American dream. Nothing wrong with the American dream. It's just that when we start to confuse that with the gospel and then we sort of justify it with some kind of either prosperity theology on one extreme or poverty theology on the other. And really the Bible is, is both of those. And it's about being a steward of what you have in the middle. It's about understanding that when you're in need, you probably need to get a hold of a prosperity scripture and trust God to meet your need. But it's also when you're faring well that you don't start trusting in that and you remember that God says don't lay up treasures where moth and rust do corrupt. But then your trust is not in your stuff, but your trust is in God. Do you see how God uses these? He uses the pendulum of balance to swing back and forth in our lives because when you're in need, that's when you need some prosperity scriptures. But when you start living outside of your trust for God and trusting in your stuff, that's when God says, okay, show me how much this really means to you. Let me see how you can get rid of that. Give that to that brother over there. And then the Lord lets us have a test because the greatest test is always prosperity. It's not poverty. When you're, po when you're impoverished, you're going to be trusting God from where the next meal comes from. But when you've got so many K in the bank and you've got a big fat 401K and you, you, all the bills are paid and everything's good and you're faring well sumptuously, what the scripture says, you're eating eat, eat well and make merry and for you know that, that whole mentality that we have, then we sort of get disconnected from God. And that's where we need to practice some healthy heart practices. Because the issue is, even when I have a new heart, I can be drawn away. I can let my focus move away from uh, the, the things that God has called for me in my life to walk in. And so out of the chute this morning, I want to jump right into point number one. And that is, the issue is right. Don't trust your heart, but trust God with your heart. Read that out loud with me. Here we go. Don't trust your heart. Trust God with your heart. More and more, I'm just seeing myself in the importance of where we are as a body, uh, where we are with so many new people that have come to Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives, in helping people find a place of what it means to follow Jesus, to walk with the Lord, uh, to, to, to move out of the Southern Churchianity idea of, okay, I went to church, I, I, I made a fresh start, I went to the back, I got a Bible, pastor called me and prayed for me over the phone. You know, I went ahead and been baptized, took my next step. Or whatever your experience was, I went to the front, shook the pastor's hand, I knelt at an altar, I prayed. Any of these number of things that you can do, I prayed a sinner's prayer. And we, we get in the mentality that we think, okay, done that, so I can just sort of 
dust it off, go on with the rest of my life living the way I've been living because now I have fire insurance. I know that I'm going to heaven. Jesus has forgiven me. And what I'm trying to shake us loose from is that has very, very little to do with the real gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel that Jesus preached. Uh, We can easily get stuck into circular patterns of behavior and just sort of going back and saying, Jesus, you know I'm broken, forgive me. And we lose contact with the awareness that Jesus didn't just die to forgive you, but he died to deliver you. Come on, somebody. Set us free from the mess and the stuff and the junk and the temptation. Now, when I learn that I can't trust my heart, but I can trust God with my heart, it takes on a whole different light. Because I have the ability in myself, even as a spirit-filled, blood-bought, water-baptized, water-washed Christian, I can start thinking in my own way in my own direction and I can let my mind justify something that all of a sudden my heart has been drawn away and turned away from the Lord to begin to do. And that's where I still now need to trust God with my heart so that He dwells on the inside. More and more as I come back to just the basics of the Scripture and salvation and the Gospel and some of these things and helping people understand what all that entails, I I find myself going back to verses that I memorized as a little bitty boy. I mean, I knew Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 probably before I went to the first grade because my mama raised me. She bounced me on her knee and sang the songs of Zion to me. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a heritage for parents and grandparents who prayed and sought the Lord and said, God, keep your hand on his life and and make him a man of destiny. And I'm thankful that I'm still walking in the blessings of some of those. And And I heard them and I heard their voice and they would call us in, me and Dewey, my younger brother, at 138 Pecan Street in Marktree, Arkansas. And Mama would stick her head out the back door, the screen door on the porch of Granny and Granddad's house and say, come on in, it's time to pray. And Dewey and I'd go, oh, we got to go pray. We'd be outside playing what any little, you know, chubby seven-year-old and his four-year-old little brother would be doing. So we'd go stand in a circle and pray. And as much as you think your children aren't affected by those times when you say, come on, guys, sit down at the table. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to say grace. We're going to say, God bless us and thank you for this food. And, and, and as much as you think those times don't mark those children, I promise you that you are, you're building an investment into their lives and they will remember that. And I remember at times when I just sensed the tangible presence of God and I would stand there holding hands with my family. There were times when I didn't want to do it and I resented being made to. And then there were other times that I would just sense the overwhelming washing of His presence over me. And I would just, even as a little kid, begin to weep because I sensed something that I couldn't explain. I didn't know what God was doing. And it was in those times of my infancy when I learned, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths and here I am I'm 53 years old and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to lead a growing church that is seeing gospel change come in the delta and I'm thankful that it still is about the basics it's still about trusting God with your whole heart it's still about recognizing in the middle of the struggle that I'm facing right now the gospel is so much more than just He died to forgive me and take me to heaven, but he died right now in my personal struggle. Where you are in your life right now, the gospel has an application that will set you free and deliver you somebody. The point under this in the italics in your notes there, they're going to put it up on the screen for me. 
It says divine direction begins with unconditional submission, not information. Read that out loud with me. Come on. Divine direction begins with unconditional submission, not information. Come on. We all have all kinds of information. We are inundated with consumer reports and what's the best vehicle and the greatest gas mileage and the most consumer reliability and all of these different kinds of things to make a good decision. And sometimes we make decisions contrary to all that information we have anyway. We, we stand in the face of all the stuff that's screaming at us and in the face of being overrun with information in an information age, we still make stupid decisions because our hearts have not been submitted. We're still trusting our hearts instead of trusting God with our hearts and letting Him come in and fill us with His Holy Spirit and begin to teach us the power of the Word that will shape the soul, our mind, our will, our emotions differently because we let the Word have first place. What did the proverb writer say? He said, my son, be attentive to my words. Daddy used to say it this way. You knew that he meant business when he finally said, I said, tend to it. Look at your neighbor and say, you better tend to it when daddy says tend to it. It says be attentive. Now that's a really nice sort of a little bit more grammatically correct polished way of saying be attentive. But when daddy says tend to it, you know it's time to, you better tend to the knitting. I don't know what that means, but that's what they say. You better tend to your own knitting. And so I knew it was time to, to, to make first place. It was time to make this thing a priority. Be attentive to my words, the psalmist, I'm sorry, the Proverbs writer said. My son, be attentive to my words. The King James says, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. So it's every inlet, what I hear, what I see, what I'm thinking about in my heart. He says, keep the word in in coming in your ears, keeping it in front of your eyes, keep it in your heart. He says, for those who find it, it will be healing to their flesh. It will be health to your body. So what it means when I trust the Lord with my whole heart, and that last verse, Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance. King James says, with all diligence. So in other words, you need to really be very deliberate about this, that guard what's coming in because what comes in is going to eventually start to come out. We learned this way, 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 way back in the 1979, 1980 when I was doing my first undergraduate degree and we were still uh, gathering around a great big mainframe computer and we had cards. Some of you know I'm talking about. You'd run those cards through and we were doing, what, COBOL and these different kinds of languages that they were teaching us how to, you know, to do computer programming. This was long before Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and all these different guys came together and gave us a PC, a personal computer. And then, and then, then really the salvation came to the world and then we had a Mac. And, and, and I'm, I'm just kidding, okay? Some of you, to my redneck brothers and sisters, that's the whole argument between the guys with the, the, the Ford truck and the Chevy truck. And then, and then my brother on the front would go, no, you're both wrong, it's a Dodge, is what Brennan would say. Um, and so it, it all comes down to keeping my heart, guarding my heart. We used to say in those computer classes, garbage in, garbage out. So what goes in is eventually going to come out. So when I trust God with my heart and I let Him have free reign and I submit it, divine direction begins at the place of unconditional submission, not at the place of information. Because I can be overrun with information every day. And let me give you a perfect example. Just the next few minutes I'm going to spend primarily on this second point, And then we'll do a quick wrap up. 
Number two, point number two, even a wise guy can miss it. Say it with me. Even a wise guy can miss it. Now, two passages of Scripture here that I'm not going to take time to read because it's about probably just under 20 verses. And you have the story of Solomon who is the greater son of David. He takes the throne. David has already prospered dramatically. He is one of the greatest Old Testament prophetic pictures of Christ. We call him a type of Christ. Tupas doesn't mean a kind of Christ, but it means a prophetic symbol that points us to Jesus, the one who is to come. Jesus is our heavenly David. He's fulfilled for us what David was pointing to. Okay? But then his greater son Solomon is even a greater picture of a type of Christ because even his name, you see in Solomon, you see the word shalom right there, very closely related to it. Solomon actually means prince of peace. And so his name is indicative of the one who is going to come. The greatest king, it was the time of the most amazing economic prosperity and boom. And he comes to the throne as a young man. His father David passes, the baton is handed to him, the scepter of righteousness to rule the kingdom. And Solomon is an unusual character because he's been raised and trained in the house of a king and and tutored. And, and under the leadership of these people to make him a king. But then God appears to him in a dream. He goes and he sacrifices at the high place at Gibeah. And God appears to Solomon in a dream and he asks Solomon, he says, what would you have me do for you? And in this beautiful passage in 1 Kings chapter 3, about verse 7 through 13, in your notes there, and I'm not going to read it, but I'll just tell you the story, is that when God appears to him in the dream, he says, what would you have me to do? He says, you know what, I'm just a child. And he says, I'm overwhelmed at being able to lead this amazing nation. It's so great a nation. I mean, who can actually really rightfully judge this great people? And he said, I would ask that you would give me wisdom so that I can make good discerning decisions between both good and evil so that I can lead this people and we can have your favor. And the scripture says God was overwhelmed at Solomon's ask, what he said. He was overwhelmed because he didn't ask for riches or for glory or for honor. He didn't ask for his enemies to be defeated. He didn't ask for any of those things. And God is so impressed with what Solomon asked for. He said, not only am I going to give you what you ask for, wisdom and a discerning heart, because that very passage says the heart of Solomon was turned toward the Lord even as his father David was. Now, when you read Kings and Chronicles and you read Samuel, uh, especially First and Second Samuel, and we see the lineage passing, the dynastic succession. We've got a dynasty that's succeeding here from David on. God made a promise to David. It's called the sure mercies of David that there would be someone of his seed that would be upon the throne. That is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When we see in the genealogy in Matthew and the genealogy in Luke between Joseph and Mary, they're both being tied and carried back through David. And so Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the seed of Abraham, the seed of David that sits on the throne. Okay, now it is his. But this is a promise that God gave to David. And every time every one of these kings that follow after him and Solomon are evaluated, it's always going to be in the phrase as to whether or not he kept his heart toward God the way his father David did. So that becomes the standard. Kind of like FDR's the first hundred days, how many laws he can pass. That becomes the standard for every president after the Great Depression. Well, the heart of David becomes the standard by which every king is actually 
um, evaluated and estimated, okay? And so God is excited. He says, you know what? Not, not only am I going to give you wisdom and a discerning heart so you can rightfully judge this great nation, he says, but I am going to give you everything you didn't ask for. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to cause the opulence and the wealth to be so phenomenal that the kings of the earth will come to you and be overwhelmed at the wisdom that comes out of your mouth and that the riches that I have favored you and blessed you with. Jesus quotes talking about the queen of Sheba, which is the Ethiopian region of Africa, traveling all the way up into Israel to see Solomon because the news had noised abroad the greatness of God in the reign of Solomon. Now, what an amazing testimony, how God had done things that are just absolutely indescribable because when you get the favor of God on your life, can't nobody else get in your way and mess it up. Come on, somebody. But you can get in the way and mess it up. Because when we tell the second part of the story, that's extended passage in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 through 8. Again, I won't take time to read it to you. But it opens up with the fact that says, Solomon's heart turned away from the Lord and to all of his strange wives. And it, it just gives these outrageous statistics of a man who sits on the throne of one of the most powerful kingdoms in the world, in the known world at the time, and he has 700 wives and 300 concubines. And you go, what in the world was this man thinking? Now, this is the guy who God gave incredible wisdom to. And let me just tell you a little bit about what was going on politically in this time. It was extremely common for kings, in order to be able to sign a peace treaty or have a pact with another nation that possibly could be warring against them. It was very common to marry the daughter of that king. Then both nations had a shared interest because once that king and then the daughter of the other king who otherwise would have been warring against the first king, they are married, then you share the interest of a family, a seed that will be born to that one. And so it brings together two. And if you know a little bit about European history, this thing happens all over the Eastern and Western European nations with the Habsburg dynasty. And everybody's a cousin to somebody else. And the Tsarina of Russia is related to the Queen of England. And all of this stuff is going on. And this has been practiced for years when kings have walked in what we call divine right or absolutism. And so Solomon is doing what is basically politically acceptable in the day. It's, except the thing is for him to do that, he had to ignore what he had been raised on. And that was the clear law of God. So he starts ignoring clear words that had been spoken over him and that the prophets would come in and speak to him and the priests of the Lord would read in his presence. And because he has all of this worldly wise wisdom and he starts marrying the wives of these kings that are alien to him and that have a bad attitude toward him, he starts taking on these wives and he's very interested in keeping those wives happy the way any husband does. Look at your neighbor right now and say, happy wife, happy life. And Solomon is tripped up by a very simple principle. His wisdom becomes so great that he fails to trust God with his heart and he trusts his own heart. He trusts his own wisdom, his own mind. And before you know it, he is catering to the desires of all of these daughters of these kings and these wives and these concubines and because they worship foreign gods and Solomon is realizing that he has a politically pluralistic 
society now. He decides that he's going to erect an altar to Baal and to Ashtoreth. These are the sex cults. And to Molech, where they're throwing their babies, it was the abortion industry of the day, into the fire of Molech. And so he erects all these high places and his wives are worshiping. And not only does he give them a place for them to worship these false gods, but he actually begins to go out and participate in making sacrifices to gods that he knows better than. And little g, false gods, he knows better than having anything to do with. And his heart is turned away from the Lord. So even a wise guy can miss it. And this is what I want you to see here is that in the middle of all of the blessing, in the middle of the prosperity, in the middle of the discernment, in the middle of all of these kings and queens coming from all over the place to see this guy, and this is what is so sad. When you read the, the famous Hall of Fame of Faith passage in Hebrews chapter 11, there is one name that is conspicuously missing from all of those great men and women of faith. You will not find... Solomon's name listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Now somebody said, well, does that mean that he's not in heaven? I don't know. I can't answer that. I just believe that, that we have to trust in the mercy of God. That's between him and the Lord. But I know that it's conspicuously missing. We've got everybody else, Abraham and Sarah and Joshua and Rahab the harlot even. And David and and, and folks who were sawn asunder and those who lost their heads and those who dwelt in caves and and looking for a greater city. But yet Solomon, who was the greatest king of all of Israel, his name didn't make the list. And so I want to give you a few things here in the last five minutes and I'm done. And that is that there are some things that I believe that will help you to prevent congestive heart failure. And that is in the spirit when we are allowing all of these other things to crowd in, to fail to attend to the word of the Lord, to keep it in our eyes, to let it be incline our ears to the sayings to keep our heart with all diligence. The ESV says with vigilance. So we want to be, we want to hold a vigil. We want to make sure that what's coming in is protected because what comes in is eventually going to go out. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for out of it are the springs of life. Out of it flow the issues of life. Okay? You want to find out what's in a person's heart? Be quiet long enough to listen to what comes out of their mouth, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth. Speaks. Somebody say amen. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 4. It's my last passage of scripture that I want to read this morning. It says, For the word of God is living and active. Everybody say alive. alive. It's alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now notice it starts out saying the word of God is alive and active. But then the next verse says him. I love that. No creature is hidden from his sight. So we're talking about not black ink on white paper, the word of God, but we're talking about the word of God, a person. His name is Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, he comes into your heart and he goes so deep, too deep for deception that down into your heart of hearts, you know when you're trying to lie to yourself and you know you can't because He's down in there with you. Christ is abiding in your hearts by faith. And it says, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. That's what happens when we really open our hearts and enter into His presence. We're just filleted open. We're laid slap wide open. That's in that moment that if you can honestly 
We, we opened our, 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 our time this morning to get ready and Abby says, she prayed and led the group and she said, God, we just come before you with honesty, all honesty today. We want to look in your face. You know, when you can come to the presence of the Lord like that, you will leave changed and you can trust God with your heart. Somebody say amen. Seven things real quickly. You, you always need to get a regular checkup. Regular checkup. Hebrews 10, 25. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together is the manner of some is. But the more so even as you see the day approaching. Church is not just um, a once in a while thing. It's a priority. Because you come together and you worship and the Spirit of God moves in your heart. Searches. Okay? Uh, the psalmist said this in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Regular checkups. Have your regular quiet time, devotion time before the Lord. Open your heart and talk freely. You know, don't, don't try to get all pompous and saying thee and thou and all these kind of Old Testament or, or, or King James Bible words because God doesn't talk that way. He talks like you do. What do you think about that? He talks like you do. He wants you to talk the way you talk and not put on some kind of spiritual air when you sit down to pray or you open the Word. Number two, eat right. See, the, the, the issue that you're going to see here is the same stuff that will give you a healthy physiological Blood pump in the middle of your chest. This heart right here is also the same thing that will give you a heart after God. And when you read it in the Psalms, it always speaks of it in the bowels. Because King James, Paul writes and he talks about bowels of mercies and feeling. And it's kind of a gut issue. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, 27, it says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. So we're talking about the heart of man down here just in, in, in the gut, in terms of where you're walking with God. Is there integrity in there? Are you getting a checkup? Are you eating right? Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words I have found, and they are the joy of my heart. And I did eat them. So we want to get in the Word, be attentive to it, eat it. First Peter 2, 2 and 3 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Get you a taste. You know, it's one thing to know the doctrine of something. It's something entirely different to experience that thing. You can know the ins and outs of regeneration, but until you've been born again, that's just dead. It's just an idea. It can be truth, but it's not true in your life yet until you've been born again. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Number three, exercise. Everybody say exercise. How do we exercise our faith? Well, well, we walk by faith, not by sight. We, we run the race with patience. We lay down the weight of sin that does so easily beset us. 1 Timothy 4 verse 8 says, Exercise yourself unto godliness. Train yourself unto godliness. Get with a brother or sister and let's get in the iron. Get in the gym. Get some iron. Let iron sharpen iron is what the scripture says. So we want to train ourselves unto godliness. Number four, de-stress. What did the writer say? Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but by everything... In prayer, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be anxious. You don't have to have an anxiety attack if you can just learn how to exercise your heart, your spiritual heart, into prayer. The Bible says, don't be stressed out about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. But by everything in prayer, with thanksgiving, let your requests, your petitions be made known unto God. And look at verse, the next verse there. It says, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, I've got to have me some of that. So regular checkups, eat right, exercise, de-stress. Drink some new wine every day. 
All right? You, 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 you read health magazines. Uh, you see what they say in terms of Dr. Oz, that it's, that it's a healthy thing for your natural heart to, to drink a glass of red wine every day. Well, I'm not promoting uh, anybody here any kind of drunkenness, but I'm also, I want you to see the, the spiritual parallel. First the natural, with the natural heart, then the spiritual parallel. It's obvious here, 1 Corinthians 15 says, first the natural, then the spiritual. So drink some new wine every day. What kind of new wine are we talking about? Acts 2.17, Peter stands up and he says, These people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. This is the day of Pentecost. He says, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. I just believe that every day after work you ought to stop off for a drink at Joel's place. Now I'm talking about the wine of the Holy Spirit now. Okay, if you can hear that, I don't want to offend anybody. Anybody who's gotten delivered from an alcoholic lifestyle, I'm not talking about going down and hanging out at the bar. This is the bar right here. Come on, belly up to the bar with me. And let's, you know what happens when you get a bunch of folks together that are a little bit imbibed? They'll just open their hearts and share their secrets and they'll just sing. Come on, you, you know, you've seen the shows. You've been in, the, you've, you've seen the great, some of you have been in that lifestyle in the past and you've seen the great times when the social lubricant starts to flow. Well, guess what? It's the same thing that happens in the Spirit. You get this Holy Spirit moving and working in a crowd and people who don't even like each other throw their arms around each other and just sing together. Just have a good old time. Just let the Holy Ghost start to flow. Come on, hang out with me down at Joel's place a little bit and let's, let's, get, let's get imbibed with the Holy Spirit. Are, are you following me? So drink a little bit of wine, at least a glass of the new wine of the Spirit every day. That is so good for your heart. Number six, maintain your joy levels. Look at your neighbor and say, I got some joy. Some of you need to go, I can't tell it by your face. It says a joyful heart does good like a medicine. So maintain your joy levels. Realize that your joy doesn't depend on happening, but your joy is depending on Jesus, and He doesn't change. Nehemiah 8.10 says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Finally, number seven, and I'm finished. Live generously and graciously. Choose to forgive. Choose to be free and to be generous with your heart and with your love and with your mercy and with your time. Because every day when you pray the prayer that God taught, the Lord Jesus taught the disciples, which is the disciples' prayer, it always comes down to that one conditional line that says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us, our debtors. And so I, I want to live graciously. I want to live generously. And so as I do that, I'm free and, I, and I'm, 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 I've got my regular checkups and I'm eating right and I'm exercising and I'm de-stressing and I'm hanging out at Joel's place and getting me a little bit of new wine every day and, and I'm maintaining my joy levels and I'm living generously. Last thing, I don't have this on the notes. Ben is not here with me today. He's there out of town, so I don't have anybody to... Set the mood, hit the chord, boom, here comes the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm joking, okay. It's just, just a joke. It's just something we preachers, we like that. Listen, since then we have a great high priest, hear this, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
I don't know what your circumstance or your situation is this morning, but you have a great high priest who is passed into the heavens, who is very sympatheo, sympathetic, with pathos, with feeling. He, he, he's not cold to it. He's not immune to it because he's experienced everything that you experience. He came through it with flying colors, without sin. And so this morning, you need mercy. You need grace. It's free. You come boldly because his love is indescribable. His mercy is everlasting. Bow your hearts with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God.